Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And in this one, we have our last second takes before the Rockets draft and the Astros trade deadline. And yet another knuckleheaded move by Nick Casario this week. Oh, man, he did it again. As always, I'm joined by my co-host and regular sidekick, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and a veteran journalist, Stephen Curran. Stephen Framber Valdez can't find the strike zone in July. He's walked at least five batters in three of his last five outings. Who broke Framber? Who broke Framber, indeed. I mean, this is definitely not the Framber that we're used to seeing, and I I don't know if it – I mean, I keep hoping that something hasn't, you know, popped up like another injury or or something. I mean, it always scares me when this happens, Robert, when you're consistent for so long, and then all of a sudden just inexplicably something happens that – you know, like, like this. So I'm just hoping it's something mental that he can straighten out, but he needs to straighten it out quickly because the Astros bullpen just continues to be the Astros bullpen, which is uh, just not good. It's terrible. Yeah. Terrible. That's the best word for it. No doubt about that. I mean, it, it just seems like if the starters don't get it done perfectly, the bullpen is right there to screw things up and we're going to get to them in just a second. But the big thing, Stephen, with Framber Valdez struggling is he's your ace. I mean, he's the guy with the best stuff going into the playoffs. I mean, we can say that a lot of these other guys are good, but Framber was fantastic in the playoffs last year. He was fantastic when he came back after the injury this year. You know, there's thoughts that, oh, spider tack. I mean, I saw somebody put that up. Look, he had five good starts since the spider tack check uh, you know, but with all the umpires. So, you know, this is not a spider attack. I mean, he, he, you know, he struggled in July. You know, this doesn't go back to June at all. So I, I just, I, I'm I'm confused at what's going on. I don't know if we're talking about seeing the old psychiatrist again or what, but it, it's so important that he gets it together because he's the guy that can get out those big time batters and big time situations when you get into the playoffs. Well, he's supposed to be your ace. I mean, I think you need more than, say, a half a season to to really solidify yourself as an ace. I mean, that's obviously something we were hoping that he would step in and be the ace. Somebody's got to step in and be the ace. You know, you, Zach Grinke could be that guy, but even he's had some problems. So, yeah, for Amber Valdez, it, it's just a, a situation the Astros really cannot afford. You know, you've got Urquidy out with injury. You've got Grinke that has kind of been up and down and battling his own shoulder issues. You know, Jake Odorizzi hasn't exactly been the kind of guy that's been stepping up consistently. So this is the last thing the Astros need is to have Framber Valdez suddenly become, I guess, the the Framber Valdez of old, the one that we hoped was behind us. Well, let's talk about what happened to the best Astro pitcher this year, if you look at consistency, and that's Luis Garcia. You know, he had his worst outing of the year on Monday night against the Seattle Mariners. The Astros won two out of three against Cleveland. They swept the Rangers this week. Oledmus Diaz is back. Bregman and Pedro Baez will be back soon. All was looking good before uh, last night. I was thinking, Stephen, oh, it's going to be a lot of positive Astros stuff. And then the Astros blow this seven to nothing lead. Garcia, like I said, the worst outing of the year. And the only thing that I'm pissed about, though, after watching that game, is Dusty pulling Ryan Stanek for Brooks Raley? Because, Stephen, it's not that I'm ever totally confident in Stanek, but he's pitched well recently. He'd gotten two outs. Yeah, he just walked a guy, but Brooks Raley, 
is a pitch to contact guy, and that's not what you want in high leverage situations. Well, it sure came back to bite him. You know, Ryan Stanek, he's he's had some struggles kind of in the middle, but for the most part, he's he's actually been pretty good. So yeah, to put Brooks, Brooks Raley in, who's you know just coming back, by the way, uh, you know that that has to enter into it. But uh, yeah, my confidence in Brooks, Brooks Raley goes up and down. I, I just can't, I can't get really get a feel for him of which pitcher is going to go out there. And unfortunately, that that was just you know what really caved in things for the Astros. And as far as Luis Garcia, we have to start to worry because we we've talked a lot about you know how many innings can he really pitch this year and be effective. You know, talked about moving him to the bullpen. So I, I'm hoping this isn't the start of a sign that maybe that's what needs to happen because he was doing so well and being so consistent before that start. Well, it helps if you help yourself. And Luis Garcia makes the error in that inning right. that, that right. really leads to a lot of the trouble that he got into. Yeah, just an all-around bad night for the Astros, the bullpen, Luis Garcia, and everybody. Any more thoughts on the Astros in general or, or just wishes, hopes, dreams as we approach the trade deadline? Get some pitching help, help, help. Yeah, that's that's really the big thing, and it's obvious. But uh, you know the the Astros' offense, as I've said before, it's it's either feast or famine. But man, you can't blame them for putting seven runs up and having a lead that you really should have kept against Seattle. With Fromber's struggles, is there any thought in your head, Stephen, of getting a starting pitcher before the trade deadline? Because you know, you, you could move these other guys to the bullpen. Luis Garcia's racked up innings that he's never racked up before. Are you interested in a starter or are you like me? Let's just get the guys in the bullpen that have done it before that are out there and, and get that done and, and not try to fool with moving guys from starting to bullpen. As I've said before, I, I believe that get the Astros getting a starter is not off James Click's radar. I, I think it is something he is considering. Obviously, the bullpen is, is the biggest need, but with the inconsistency and, and just you know the problems the Astros starters are, are beginning to have, I don't think that's off the table at all. It would not surprise me in the least. I, I don't know about a Max Scherzer. I, I just don't see that happening, but you know, Stranger things have happened. But no, I, I do see that as a possibility that the Astros could wind up with another starter. And then you would certainly have some options. And depending on who you trade, of course, to get that starter or other bullpen help. I mean, there there could be some major reshuffling going on even in the starting rotation. If it's not Scherzer, I don't know if there's anybody else that really gets you excited. as Because you want somebody, the Astros got some really good starters. You want that guy if you're going to bring somebody that's the ace, the guy that's going to be the Verlander or Garrett Cole. Well, you're not going to see that. I, I don't think you're going to see that. What I do think you'd see, if it happens at all, is it somebody in the back of the rotation that will just give it some stability. You know, a, a four or five guy, perhaps, that can just come in and, and steady things up. I, I think that's what you're... you're I, I don't believe you're going to see a one or a two type situation. I mean, it could happen, but I don't see that. They got seven guys, Stephen, that can start right now. And one of them's in the bullpen, obviously, with Christian Javier. But, you know, you've got seven guys that can start. So you're getting a four or five guy. Why? I don't see the point in that. Well, they can start, but how effective have they been? And and again, you know, you've got to look at the injury situation, you know, with Urquidy being out and, uh, you know, some of the other ineffectiveness going on. And just a reminder, five guys don't start in playoffs in major league baseball No, they do not no they do not uh what do you think of the cleveland guardians 
first of all, I, I applaud the move. They needed to do it. They needed to change the name. I'm not sure, Robert, if if any name is really going to wow me just because of the fact that they've been the Cleveland Indians for so long that, you know, getting used to anything else <laughs> would, would take some doing. Just like, you know, the Washington football team, that's not a permanent name. You know, whatever name they, they're, they're going to go to, you're still going to find yourself saying Washington Redskins, you know, for years to come. But surely they could have come up with something better than the Guardians, right? I thought they would incorporate something about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, there's so many ways you could go with that. Uh, that, to me, would have been the fun. I mean, uh, you know, they, there's these big marketing firms, I'm sure, that are involved and all this. It, it's like you overthink some things, I think, sometimes. Or maybe you don't think enough about it, but I, I don't like that name at all. It doesn't really roll off the tongue, you know, we'll see. I mean, time makes a difference with a lot of this stuff, but yeah, it's kind of whatever for me. But I've kind of been in the feeling of, hey, I, I don't know if it matters really, unless it's just some really wow name, like the Seattle Kraken, for instance, in the NHL. Now that is a creative name. Now, of course, a lot of people go, well, what's a Kraken? Well, of course it's, you know, it, it, it does have to do with the city. The fans chose the name. It's different. Yeah, but but the Cleveland Guardians definitely doesn't have the same feel. Absolutely not. Steven, if you would, I want to save your this week in Astros baseball history to the end of the show. Is that all right? We can do that. Absolutely. That's a good, it'd be a positive way to end the show for sure. <laughs> yeah, I want to do it because we've got so many major stories this week. And I got to ask you, I mean, let's get into this. Your Longhorns are going to the SEC, it looks like. What do you think? You know what, Robert? I, I applaud the move. I, I'm not the least bit surprised about it. I, I mean, yeah, of course, it raised some eyebrows. It may not have been something that we were expecting, but we should have. The, the college sports landscape is changing. You're talking billions of dollars worth of potential in the SEC compared to, oh, some millions from the Big 12. You know, it's a league that, first of all, doesn't even have 12 teams to begin with. They looked at expansion five years ago. They should have done it. You know, I think it's well known that the University of Houston, you know, they were wanting to get in. The Big 12 acted as if they were going to get in. And then they said, no, that's OK. We'll see you guys later. I think stuff like this is coming back to bite them. UT and OU, they want their piece of the pie. And, you know, with the NIL, the name image likeness thing, the expanded college football playoff, what better time for them to get in there and do it? And what I think you're going to see, Robert, you know, we've we've talked about the super conference thing for a while. This is going to be the domino effect. I think this is where you're going to start to see more super conferences popping up. And think about this. It could affect teams like the University of Houston, Texas Tech, Baylor, in, in a good way. Who's to say that the American Athletic Conference might start poaching on some of these Big 12 teams that may be looking to go elsewhere because UT and OU left? So, you know, it's, it's been a lot to take in. But I am actually excited about the move. And there are some who believe, hey, maybe this is what's going to rekindle the rivalry between Texas and Texas A&M. It already has off the field. The Aggies are just they're, they're smoldering mad about this whole thing. They're mad, but there should be a big I told you so, because the Longhorns, you know, they decide we're going to do the Longhorn Network. Uh, we're going to sort of push the Aggies to the side like, oh, there's your little brothers. Let's we're gonna throw you over here. And the Aggies said. Well, I'll show you. We're going to the SEC. That's the best conference. And the Longhorns, you know, were left in the Big 12. And lo and behold, feels like a big mea culpa here of, hey, we, we, we might have screwed that up. So we got to go over to the SEC to make up for it. 
I mean, the whole thing just cracks me up. I mean, I love Longhorns and Aggies. I mean, I have no, what do they call it? Uh, smoke in the fire or whatever. What, what, what's the saying go? I, I got, but it, it's fun. <laughs> yeah, it is fun. And, and I think that it really, you know, the Aggies have their selfish reasons. They wanted to be the only team of, in Texas in the SEC. Well, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. And, you know, Oklahoma State, they're mad too because, well, now, you know, they're left standing in a conference that is shaky at best. So, yeah, there's a lot of storylines at play here. But, yeah, the, the A&M-Texas rivalry continues, even if it's off the field. But I, I think, it again, I, I think it's something that really didn't come as a shock to me, Robert, just with all the changes that are going on in college sports. It's, it's like a domino effect. Yeah, they're talking about the move to the SEC. It, it's in 2025. But let's be real here. UT and OU might be moving over there supposedly in that in that time frame but the big 12 is about to implode if this whole thing happens if they say yeah we're moving then the big 12 everybody's scrambling i mean that conference i don't know what's going to happen but i can't imagine that all of this doesn't really change quickly if uh ut and ou tell everybody we're, we're headed to the sec and maybe just maybe as the big 12 is imploding UH, where do they land? Maybe they end up in a Power 5 conference like the Pac-12. They could, or like I said, you know, the AAC could start poaching some teams and build their own little super conference. I mean, it's certainly not going to compare to the SEC, but think about adding teams like a Baylor or Texas Tech. They could even add teams like BYU. I mean, this this thing could go any direction. Uh, and, and yeah, it could happen sooner than 2025. Of course, the grant of rights, you know, for the Big 12 is is up in 2025, UT and OU are not going to renew. They've already made that clear. But there could be buyouts. You know, both schools could soak up uh, certainly a, a buyout if it came to that to where they could go into the SEC even sooner than 2025. So we'll we'll just have to see how that plays out. Yeah, it's going to be fun what's going to happen with all this stuff. And I, I just uh, have to laugh. Like I said, <laughs> UT, uh, they're, they're kind of having to, you know, eat eat some crow in all this. But uh, they're they're getting in the sec so i guess that's that's the 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 big thing for them i i I guess deshaun watson will be reporting to texans training camp as we switch gears and i mean there's so much to talk about this week but but were you surprised to hear that he was reporting texans training camp well yes and no i mean first of all let's not get all excited about the fact that hey deshaun maybe he doesn't want to be traded after all no his his position is still the same i I think it boils down to that he doesn't want to lose fifty thousand dollars a day he wants to make himself look good. But, you know, this poses a whole myriad of problems, Robert, not the least of which is that the NFL, believe it or not, it comes as a shock to you. You better be sitting down. You know, Roger Goodell has not taken any action on Deshaun at all, whereas in, in previous years, he hasn't been hesitant at all to lay the hammer down on some of these others that even though they haven't been charged with a crime, which Deshaun has not to this point, He's he's made no bones about, you know, suspending them or doing something, but not in Deshaun's case. And that just poses a whole myriad of problems for the Texans. Because, I mean, what do you do? Deshaun comes in here. He takes snaps with, you know, the rest of the quarterbacks. And the preseason comes. You put Deshaun in there. He plays. The regular season starts. Okay, say let's say he plays two, three, four, five games. The Texans are winning. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like playing Jenga. The whole thing falls down. The league does come down on Deshaun, or he does get charged. He's out. Then what do you do? I, I mean, this this just isn't a good thing all the way around, Robert. 
Well, the reason why the NFL hasn't done anything yet is they're, they're waiting as long as they can to find out what's going to happen with this stuff because they don't want to suspend it for this many games and then go, oh, now there's criminal stuff and there's a trial and all this. So they're, they're trying to put it off as long as possible. I mean, that's my guess. I mean, I, you know, what do you do? I mean, you, you, you can't wait. And you know, the season hasn't started yet. The NFL doesn't have to, you know, do anything. Oh, no, yet. they don't have to at all. No, not at all. And, and you're right. I'm just saying that compared to recent years where, you know, they, they've laid the hammer down before anything happens, you know, before you're, you're basically guilty before you're proven innocent. They have not done that in the case of Deshaun. The other thing about him coming to camp is, you know, he's not going to start. He's not going to play for the Texans this year. Obviously, you know, they're, they're saying, well, you know, the Texans are now taking offers, but they're stupid if they uh, trade him before this whole thing plays out because right now his trade value isn't nearly as good in, until you know what he's going to be able to do going forward. So the thing that uh, about the whole deal with him being at training camp, though, Stephen, is what happens? Does he talk to the media afterwards? Do the Texans make him talk to the media? Because, you know, that that's going to be fun press conferences if that's going to happen. Well, you know what? The best thing I think the Texans could do is that give him an excused absence to, from training camps where he, he wouldn't get fined, but he's not going to be there because he's going to be an obvious distraction. I mean, there's no question about it. Whether he talks to the media or doesn't, the question, you know, everyone else is going to get the questions. So either way, he's going to be a distraction. The best thing is for him not to be there, and the Texans can make that decision. Okay, so now let's get to another thing that happened with the Texans. There's never anything good that happens with the Texans on a <laughs> weekly basis, and uh, there's more stuff for this week. And the Texans, well, they make a trade. They trade for Bears wide receiver Anthony Miller. If you don't know who Miller is, second-round pick for the Bears in 2018, averaged 44 catches over his first three seasons, yada, 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 whatever. Next year, he's a free agent. Then you've got a guy that's just a guy that's a free agent after the end of the year. But Casario gives up a fifth-round pick for a seventh-round pick and Miller. So, Stephen, when all is said and done, Casario gives up a fifth-round pick for a 26-year-old sort of bust of a draft pick who's going to be a free agent after this year. we got to start getting real here because Casario, he has absolutely no idea what he's doing. He's not Bill O'Brien dumb, but he's made Rick Smith look smart so far. Yeah, but I'm wondering, did he call Bill O'Brien before making that trade? And Bill O'Brien, you know, gave him the go-ahead. I mean, that was my first thought uh, when it happened. It's like, wait, wait, wait. Is he is he having conversations with Bill O'Brien over this deal? <laughs> because that is a, a deal that Bill O'Brien would certainly make and not think two bones about it. So, yeah, it's another head-scratcher. I, I mean, the, the Texans certainly don't have – the DeAndre Hopkins, Will Fuller's types for any quarterback to throw to, whether it's Deshaun or Tyrod Taylor, Davis Mills, you know, Driscoll, whomever. Yeah, and Anthony Miller, another trade that shouldn't have been a trade, at least at, at this moment for the Texans. He keeps trading draft capital on a team that is going nowhere, that you need as much draft capital as possible going forward to try to rebuild this thing. It's it's. It's madness. I, it doesn't make any sense to me. Well, and, and I'm wondering, so what if he does get a good deal for Deshaun at some point? You know, it, is is he going to screw that up too? Is he going to trade all those draft picks for some no-name players? I mean, <laughs> nothing is, nothing's off the table as far as the Texans' moves are concerned, is it? Oh, I just, I, I can't believe we're, we're 
doing the same thing. It's like put it on repeat over and over and over again. And I don't know. Uh, let, let me ask you if you remember a name. There's uh, a, a name that was in the news this past week. Do you remember Greg Knapp? Yes, I certainly do. Um, you know, of course, he was with the Texans in 2010, 2011, really worked with Matt Schaub as, as well as Matt Schaub could be at that point. And then he follows Gary Kubiak to Denver, wins a Super Bowl. But yeah, a very tragic story about what happened to Greg Knapp this past week. Yeah, 25-year veteran NFL head coach, not head coach, but but assistant coach. He died when he got hit by a car while he was riding his bike. Yeah, we just heard about a story similar to this with Mark yeah. Eaton with the Utah Jazz. Be careful out there if you're driving your car and you see bicyclists. I mean, you know, that that, that shouldn't happen. Just sad story because considered a really good guy by anybody who knew him when he was with the Texans. I saw Kevin Cooper, Stephen, the former Texans communications director, tweet out some really nice words on Greg Knapp. Yeah, certainly. Just, uh, you know, as you said, nothing good is happening with the Texans and even things that aren't in their control with, you know, people who are no longer there. It's just, it, it's sad all the way around. And, you know, we, we hear a lot of stories of bikers being hit and just, uh, yeah, again, just please watch yourself when you're on the roads, pay attention to what's around you, who's around you. But yeah, had some, a, a couple of great years with the Texans and certainly, you know, did some great things with Matt Schaub when he was here. Yeah. And, and Texans, Staying in the news that it's just not good stuff. I mean, obviously that situation was sad, but just kind of stupid, weird. DeAndre Hopkins doesn't want to get the vaccine. Rick Dennison, former Texans coach, he doesn't want to get the vaccine. And, you know, there's a thought that I guess that he was going to get fired from that. I think that's now a little up in the air, Stephen. But uh, I mean, I just don't. I don't understand. Just get the vaccine. This is not hard. No, it's not hard, Robert. And look, I, I get it. it. It, you know, people keep saying, "Well, it's a personal choice." Okay, it is, and it isn't. In these particular situations, when when you are, you know, when you're on a team, and you decide that you want to put yourself at risk, you're also putting your teammates at risk. If you're going to go out and do what you want to do, not get the vaccine. And, you know, if the NFL is indeed going to start making teams forfeit if they don't have enough players because of COVID-19, then guess what? You know, your decision is putting your team in jeopardy. It, it just it goes back to once again, so many players nowadays, they it's they put I over team. And I don't want you know, I'm going to use the overuse cliche. There is no I in team. But that's what really this is all about, Robert. This isn't just about you. It is about your team. And I was very disappointed to see that with DeAndre Hopkins and you know several of the others you just mentioned. Yeah, and at the risk of making some of our listeners upset, you know, this is to me this is this is about playing the odds here. You know, you say, oh, something bad could happen with the vaccine, but a lot more bad could happen if you do not take the vaccine. You could die. You can put other people at risk to die. I mean, that's the thing. This is about the greater good in society, and that's what. I think a lot of people are missing. You know, Stephen, let me let me just throw this, and I don't know if this is a, an apt comparison, but, you know, we have laws to put your seatbelt on. Right. And some people go, well, it's a personal choice. I don't want to put my seatbelt on. Okay, that's fine. You don't put your seatbelt on. You risk death with that. But I think it's really crazy that uh, you would think in those terms, but yet, you know, nobody thinks twice about, hey, if I've got my kid in the car, my two-year-old, my three-year-old, my four-year-old, my five-year-old, 
you're going to have that kid buckled up. So obviously you think it's a big deal. Uh, most people are not going to just not have their child buckled up in the car with them. That's number one. Number two, if you don't buckle your seatbelt and you do die because somebody hits you in an accident and they're called accidents, you know, that's the, the name <laughs> of them. And somebody does die. That person that did that has your life on their conscious. Now, that shouldn't be something that they should have on their conscious because you made the personal choice to not buckle your seat. You know what I mean? Does that make any sort of sense, Stephen? Yeah, it, it does. But, you know, here's the difference. If you don't wear your seatbelt and everybody else is buckled and somebody hits you and you go flying through the windshield, well, okay, it does affect everybody else, you know, emotionally because of your death. But, you know, when, when, you, when you choose not to get the vaccine and you're on a pro football team who's trying to play a series of games and you go out and do something careless, you go to a nightclub or you get a bunch, around a bunch of people that you don't know if they're vaccinated or not, or there may be COVID you know, cases there and you don't know it, and then you come down with it, you infect or you at least have the potential to infect other people on your team. That's really where it is, Robert. That, that's where it is for me. And, you know, we all go, um, hey, we don't care about our own passing, but you know, if you're a football player and you've got a family that you're supporting or whatever, I mean, you're affecting a lot of different people uh, in, in your life. You know, if you die, other people get affected. You know, if you're dying too early and, and unnecessarily, it's just everybody thinks these are personal decisions and it's only about you, 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 me, 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 whatever. But it's it, it's way bigger than that. It just is. Yeah, it, it just is. And look, I get it. People saying, well, I get the vaccine and you get COVID anyway. But in, in many cases, it at least minimizes the symptoms. It's like getting the flu shot. You know, you, you may actually still get the flu, but it could be less than if you hadn't gotten the shot. So, yeah, it, it's just a shame that it even comes to this, Robert, that we even have to have this discussion. That there is just I hate to use the word selfishness, but that's what it is. There there is just too much selfishness going on, you know, and especially in this particular case. Yeah, there's no argument, by the way. It's 98, 99% right now of the people in the hospital with COVID uh, issues are people that were not vaccinated. Right, so, you know, exactly. Just get the shot. Uh, anyway, let's move on to uh, the Rockets because it's not looking like the Pistons are trading that number one pick. Odds on favorite is Rockets are drafting Jalen Green. I, I'm now seeing stuff... Uh, out there that Evan Mobley doesn't even want to come here, but I don't think it's going to matter. I feel as strongly as I ever have about this. It's it's the right move, Stephen. It is the right move. Look, if you're going to trade up, you know, to the number one pick, you you better get something really good for it. I mean, number one, number two. I, I still think it, at the end of the day, Robert, it boils down to what does your team need the most? And yeah, I, I was very infatuated with Mobley as far as what he can do in the long term. But the more I think about it and the more I study it, I, I just think, Jalen Green is the type of player that Steven Silas likes. You know, he's that all-around guard that can shoot. He can play defense. He can certainly come in and, and make a quicker impact than somebody like Evan Mobley. So if that is the, the direction the Rockets are going to take, then I'm fine with it. Yeah, you said he could play defense. Not not so good. A lot of people think he's not good at playing. But I think that's going to change. I mean, he's athletic. It's all about desire. He's going to become a good defensive player. And let me just speak to the fact that, well, Evan Mobley comes in. Evan Mobley comes in. He's a, going to be a great defensive player. Well, part of being a great defensive player as a big guy, and he, he's a big guy. He's going to be playing the four or the five. I mean, that's what you would, would draft a guy like that to be. I right. mean, he could play the three, I guess, but 
you know, he's not somebody that has an outside game. He doesn't have the the skills handling the ball, all that stuff. He's a four or five in the NBA. And the problem with that is if you're a four or five, you better be a great rebounder to be a great defender. And, and I just don't see that with him. He's really thin right now. It's going to take him years to put on some weight. Maybe he turns into a Clint Capella where he's bigger and he, and he can do uh, some things defensively from that standpoint with a little bit more weight. But at the same time, Capella still gets knocked out of the way by guys like Embiid and Jokic. So he's not somebody that's ever going to be a Jokic or Embiid to be able to muscle guys out of the paint. Or like even a DeAndre Ayton. He's, that's the perfect example. I mean, DeAndre Ayton has got the potential to be a great defensive player, even better than he is right now. But right now he's really good. I just don't think, you know, Mobley is going to be this great defensive player. He's got the advantage of the athleticism to play a lot of different guys and switch off. And that's all good, but to be great, you got to rebound and you got to have a little bit more size. If you're going to be a six, 10, seven foot guy at the four and five. Yeah, I mean, or bulk at least. And, and you know, the, the upside is great, but unfortunately the Rockets aren't in a great position to where they can wait for upside, especially at a position where, you know, you, you can get a guy that he may, may, he may not be a top-notch great center, but can do a lot of the things that the Rockets would need him to do without having to draft somebody like Evan Mobley. So I think that's that's where the difference is. The Rockets really can't wait for upside. You know, they, they need help now. They're rebuilding. And, and they need help as soon as possible. So I, I think that's where it comes into play too, Robert, where Jalen Green is probably the best guy for this team this year at this point. Well, you and I haven't checked in with each other since the NBA Finals. We haven't done a podcast. Can, can you recall an athlete, Stephen, who shut his critics up with a bigger performance than Giannis did? No, you know, it, it, I'd have to do some thinking on it. And, and honestly, I, I just think, you know, there were a lot of inspirational stories in this NBA playoffs, Chris Paul would have been one if he'd won the title, you know, as long as he'd been seeking it. But, you know, to see what Giannis did in that final game, I mean, yeah, you talk about shutting people up. Boy, what if James Harden could have done something like that in his position? You know, Giannis did it, you know, and he had the injury coming into the finals. You know, he overcame that. And then just to put the icing on the cake, man, I think he just, he didn't put the icing on a cake. He, he just threw that cake out and totally replaced it with that 50-point performance and gave the Bucks their first title in 50 years. Just an, an unbelievable performance. You know, not just what he did in that game, but an incredible finals altogether for him. And you mentioned it, the injury that we thought might put him out for the next year, potentially, or at least several months. And he comes back and plays the entire finals, which is just extraordinary. And then... He joins Michael Jordan and Akeem Olajuwon as the only players in NBA history to win a regular season MVP award, a finals MVP award, and a defensive player of the year award. I don't know who this Jordan guy is, Stephen, but Giannis is in good company <laughs> with Akeem Olajuwon. Yeah, Rockets fans are certainly, you know, say, well, we, wait, we got to make room for him? Yeah, no doubt about it. But yeah, it's a great story, Robert. And P.J. Tucker got his titles. So, you know, if you're a, a, a Rockets fan and you, you're cheering for the former Rockets. Well, you knew somebody off the Rockets was going to win a title. I thought it would be Chris Paul, honestly, but it's P.J. Tucker. You mentioned P.J. Tucker, and I wanted to bring this up because did you know, Stephen, that on his way to a championship, P.J. Tucker first took out Trevor Ariza, then James Harden, then Chris Paul, or I'm sorry, then Clint Capella, and then finally Chris Paul, 
He took that entire Rockets starting lineup that he played with in the 2018 Western Conference Finals. He got rid of all of them. He vanquished them all. Wow. What a difference three years makes, huh? Uh, I mean, I I don't know what to say about that. Yeah, you you look at the Rockets now and in their rebuilding mode and go, man, all these players that could have won a title. But, you know, we were sitting there even then saying after that, well, what did the Rockets need to do now to get to the next level? Yeah, it's just irony because obviously Trevor Reza, he wasn't the key to anything with the Miami. James Harden was hurt. Chris Paul, you know, he, he by the time the finals, I think he was a little worn down and he had dealt with some injuries all through. And, and you know, Clint Capella is not the big deal with the Hawks. And, of course, they didn't have uh, their their star Trey Young the last couple of games at 100%. But it's just kind of funny that he took out all those guys on his way. You know, just real irony there. Um, Steven, we're Houston sports talk, but what I've really wanted to talk about this whole show, what I'm so excited about is the Olympics. There's nothing in sports that gives me more goosebumps, more feels, if you want to say it like that, than the Olympics. It's kind of like finding my sports happy place every couple of years. You know, you're right, Robert. And I think one of the reasons is there are just so many great storylines. I mean, you look up and down the list and I don't care what sport you're talking about, you know, whether it's baseball, basketball, softball, surfing, skateboarding, swimming. I mean, you name it. There are storyline, multiple storylines of what these male and female athletes have to go through, you know, to get to this point. And I think the other thing, you know, that I always think about when I think of the Olympics, you know, you train for four years, or in this case, you had to add an extra year because of COVID, five years to get to one moment, sometimes even as as small as a second, and a great thing can happen or a terrible thing can happen that can blow it all up. And all those years of training either are worth it or they go out the window. You know, that's a lot of pressure, Robert. I honestly, I don't know if I could handle it. And, and you know, these these guys, you know, male and female athletes have to do that and, and live with that, either the good or the bad. So there, there are just so many different aspects to the Olympics that make them great. And the fact that happen every four years, you know, it just adds to it. Yeah. And I, I we saw like one of the swimmers, one of the American swimmers, 0.01 seconds from being on the podium. And, you know, you said it. I mean, it's four years. This time it's five years that it's changed the timeline. I mean, I think that's one of the big stories is it's changed the timeline of athletes that, you know, might have had a chance to win gold last year. But a year later, they're a year older. You know, they went through the pandemic. There might be some stuff that happened there that hurt their training and whatever. So, you know, it's changed a ton of stuff that extra year this year. I love the Olympics. And is is there a more awesome music theme in sports than John Williams Olympic fanfare? NBC plays it nonstop, Stephen, for two weeks. And it never, ever gets old. It's like certain other songs, you know, that you love. You've heard them hundreds of times. You never burn out. Yeah, the Olympic song has to be that. It absolutely has to be. You speak about the pressure a little bit ago, and boy, huge news broke just before we started to record. So we're just kind of getting this story as you and I are starting the podcast. But Simone Biles pulls out of the team competition after struggling to land a vault. I, I don't know what happened exactly because we haven't seen it yet. I, I wasn't watching the streaming when this was going down. But Stephen, 
Simone Biles did not look all that right in the prelims or, or I'm sorry, in the Olympic trials. She did not look great Sunday night with, you know, they're, they're trying to do all the qualifiers. Uh, th- this sucks. Cause I mean, there's nobody we love more than Simone Biles. Nobody. Absolutely. And, and it is a shame, Robert, because, but I think you're right. We, we did see signs of this in the trials. You know, she's had some ankle problems and toe problems. And of course, you know, she'd be the first one to brush that aside and say that's not the reason. But you have to wonder. I mean, I certainly don't think it's the pressure getting to her. I, I just think it's a combination of things. But yeah, you kind of saw this coming when, you know, they're they're saying it, it's some kind of a, a medical thing. They won't specify, of course. So we don't really know. But uh, boy, what a blow it was to the U.S. gymnastics team, because obviously <laughs> she's the one they were counting on to get them that gold. So, you know, the fact, I mean, a couple of others stepped up and, and did okay, but you know, the, the damage was done. Certainly. Yeah. She just puts you way ahead of everybody else. And um, it's just, it's a shame and hopefully she'll be okay for the individuals. I don't know if this means she's done for the Olympics. Like I said, we don't know really what, what exactly is going on. Cause it just sort of happened, but um, let, let's move on to an event that oh, I, I love 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 olympic swimming there's no event i look forward to more first because team usa has become so clutch over the years you know they've had phelps and missy franklin and katie ledecky and houston's own simone Manuel, ryan lochte on and on but also because dan hicks and rowdy Gaines on the broadcast are just awesome in my opinion they're the best broadcast team in any sport right now and that includes the nfl nba baseball whatever what do you think wow now that's some high marks robert i I don't know i have to give that some thought because uh that's a pretty good company you're putting those two into yeah Gaines and hicks they they basically have to catch us up on everything that's happened over the last four years on what's been going on in swimming because none of us follow it if not olympic years they do an incredible job just concisely catching us up i mean it's a hard thing to do and then breaking down strategy, explaining technique, telling these stories, and their excitement. It's just infectious. Steven, the best call in sports in the last 20 years was their call of the 4x100 in Beijing. That awesome Jason Lezak comeback. I could just, I I can watch that over and over and over again. Yeah, they obviously are the ones who have been trained very well in doing the elevator pitch. I mean, that's really the best way to say it is they they do an elevator pitch about as well as anybody in any field after that. Speaking of Lezak, which that helped Phelps win eight golds in Beijing. You know, Stephen, I've really been impressed with what Phelps has brought to the swimming broadcast team. I I wasn't sure. You know, he he didn't seem like he was going to be this incredible broadcaster, but there's already signs that he's looking good. And this is early. You know, it takes a while to get comfortable in that. Yeah, you never know how that sort of thing's going to go. I mean, you know, he's he's got the name, obviously. Hey, Michael Phelps, and people are going to watch it because of that. But you know, you still have to have the technique and the, just the, the wherewithal, and it's a learning curve. You know, it's a, it's a whole lot different. So you know, the fact that he's doing as well as he is right now, it, it's a good sign. At least it, you know, to have him on the broadcast, that's a plus, regardless. You know, and you know, now the pressure comes with the, some of these other guys like Caleb Dressel and some others to be the Michael Phelps. And and I don't think, you know, that's just not something that I don't think anybody can live up to. All right. Let's do one last story on swimming because how about 17 year old 
Alaskan Lydia Jacoby shocking everybody with the gold and the 100 breaststroke. There's only one 50-meter pool in all of Alaska, as Rowdy Gaines said on the broadcast. It was a fun race because, you know, she beat out the favorite Lily King from the United States. And also, it's a local story, Stephen. We're we're back to Houston Sports Talk because she's a future Longhorn. Well, that's right. She is. So, yeah, we've circled back around. And and yet, yeah, that's another story. Another reason I think the Olympics are, are just so fun to watch is the unexpected stories, the surprises, the upsets. You know, just like in any other sport or any other event, you know, we talk about March Madness and, you know, who's going to who's going to step up and surprise you? Well, she did. You know, she's just one of, I think, many that are going to do that before these Olympics are over. So, yeah, we we had some rough things. The Texans, you know, always give us some rough things to talk about at a Houston Sports Talk podcast. And the Astros with that uh, blown lead uh, on Monday night. But uh, let's cleanse the palate a little bit. This week in Astros baseball history, Stephen, what happened this week in Astros baseball history? Well, there's some very good things that happened, Robert. And the first one I want to tell you about, it happened six years ago yesterday. Craig Biggio becoming the first Astro to be inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Man, can you believe it's been six years that that tech took place already? I tell you what, that was one of the coolest things to see all of those Astros fans flooding Cooperstown. I mean, that was special to watch. Uh, everybody that was there said it looked like the town had been taken over by the Astros. So that was so cool. That's what I remember most about him getting into Cooperstown. Yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, to have Jeff Bedwell follow him, you know, not too long after that, that makes it even better. But if you think about how long Astros fans waited for something like that, you know, you've had former Astros go into the Hall of Fame, but they went in, you know, with other teams that they were more known for. So the fact that this was their own, you know, born and bred Astro that got in, the very first one, that's very significant. Well, on July 20th, you know, in 2011 is when Jose Altuve made his Astros debut. Uh, It wasn't quite the debut that he did on the 10-year anniversary of that debut. He went one for five. The Astros did win. But, you know, how about Jose Altuve last week on the 10-year anniversary of that going yard twice? Man, I, I mean... Hollywood couldn't script any better than that, could they? Yeah, I was really impressed with what AT&T Sports did on that broadcast on the 10-year anniversary because they did a really fine job of just making that anniversary kind of a, an event and, and looking back at it. And then, you know, Altuve tops it all off with a couple of home runs. And uh, it was Altuve night. He makes the great leaping stab also on the defensive end but that that was really cool what they did with that yeah absolutely and I think you know the other thing about Jose Altuve is that you know no matter what you know we were pretty critical of him last year he had such a bad year and you know not just offensively but defensively you know you you keep counting this guy out or you think he's down and he just finds a way to get it done that's what the great players do and and Jose Altuve is a great player and to do, but but to do what he did, I, I think it it exceeded my expectations for sure. So on July 20th, 2003, see, we can't mention Craig Biggio in any of these This Week in Histories without mentioning Jeff Bagwell sometime after that, right? I mean, I guess that should be no surprise. But it was in 2003 on July 20th that Bagwell hit his 400th home run 
as an Astro. And yes, the Astros did win over the Reds six to three in that game. So you're saying forget about the moon landing on July 20th. We're talking <laughs> Bagwell's 400th home run. We're talking Altuve debuts in an Astros uniform, way bigger in, 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 in American yeah, history. Yeah, those those are the moon landings we should be talking about. The moon shots, right? Is that all you got for the for this weekend? That's plenty, but that's good stuff. No, I got one more. Oh. I, I've got one more. We're going to go way back here. Uh, I, I think I was born the year before this happened, but July 26, 1963. You've had this guy on the show, Robert. I'm pretty sure. It, it was before I joined you. Bob Aspermani. You, you've had him on the show, right? Oh, yeah, a couple times. Yeah, I thought you did. So Bob Aspermani hits a grand slam for a young fan from Arkansas named Bill Bradley, who was recovering from surgery after being blinded from a lightning strike. Now, the year before, you know, Aspermani met Bradley, and Bradley asked him to hit a home run. And Aspermani's response was, well, I don't know, Bill, I'll try. <laughs> well, the year before, in 1962, he hit a home run for him. But it was in 1963, this past week, that he hit a grand slam for him. So he did it twice. Man, talk about Talk about a feel-good story to end the show, Robert. That's that's what we've got. If you want to hear that whole story, it's on a previous podcast. It just hit me. Go back to the best of Houston Sports Talk. We did a throwback Thursday last year with the best of. It's the first thing on that one um, because it's it, it, it was the best of. It was the best story. Stephen, you know, he does a good job there just telling you a little bit, but there's way more to this story. It's fantastic. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, if we had more time to go into it, I would – because I, I am so fascinated by baseball history, Robert. You know, I I joined the Society for American Baseball Research mainly for that reason because I love the publications they put out. I just I love baseball history, and of course, being an Astros fan, I love Astros history. Yeah, if we had more time, we we could delve into it because it's quite a story. You know, and, and the fact that he did it not once but twice, you know, a couple a, a year or so apart, that's I mean, you know, it's it's one thing to do it one time, but to do it a second time, you know, baseball. It, it's not easy to hit a home run in Major League Baseball and to do it, you know, with that kind of timing and to do it more than once. But it's it's a great feel-good story for a lot of other reasons. So, yes, but I ab- absolutely go go check it out. Before I go, I, I just got one last little thing, Stephen. This goes back to the Rockets and Matt Bullard. And we heard that he got let go from the broadcast, but then the Rockets hired him and in their front office. And they were, everybody was wondering, what, what was that all about? How did that happen? Because... Why would they have fired him and then hired him in the front office? Like, what what was going on? Well, I, I just assumed when he got fired that it was because of the Rockets firing him. But I had a source tell me that that was not the Rockets that fired him. That was actually AT&T that fired him. And there were some reasons behind it that I can't divulge, but a good source tells me that that was an AT&T decision that was not a Tillman decision. So if you're upset at Tillman or if you're upset at the Rockets, not not the case. And, you know, to me, if, if they had an issue with Bullard, why do they then hire him immediately into the front office to help him out with player personnel and stuff like that? Yeah, that's interesting because that was the first thing I thought of is, well, OK, so did they really fire him or did they? I mean, they certainly don't think they had second thoughts. Oh, wait, maybe we shouldn't have done it. Well, here, why don't you come to the front office? So, yeah, it's interesting. I, I appreciate you clearing that up, Robert. But, yeah, you know, a lot of times the, the broadcast company you know that handles the broadcast has the say in the play-by-play and the color and so forth more than the teams do it just depends but it's good that he is back because you know he's a rocket through and through and he loves the rocket so it's good that he is at least back in a capacity where we may not see him or hear him but 
he is still with the Rockets then. Absolutely. So, oh, looking forward to the rest of this week. I mean, you got the trade deadline with the Astros. You got the Rockets draft. It should be fun. Uh, I don't know, Stephen, if you have time later this week, we, we might need to do an extra podcast with everything going on by the end of the week. So We very well might. So we'll keep our eyes on it and see what happens. You can always reach us on Twitter, Facebook, or email info at HoustonSportsTalk.net. You can always find that email address in the show description. Until next time, stay healthy and safe, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.